Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Gospel of Kinnison, also known as the GOK. This is episode 146, brought to you the week of June 12th, 2021. I am your host, James Kinnison. Welcome to my personal audio journal. Special thanks to our patrons, with extra special thanks to Carrie Wright and Carrie Bernhardt. How are you guys doing? I'm doing okay. I know it's been a while, and you guys know that when I don't podcast, there's a reason. And uh, GOKs have been something I've been wanting to do, but they take they take a little something different than that story show. That story show, I have to feel you know pleasant, I suppose. With GOKs, I have to be ready to face the negative parts about myself because a lot of times that's what I share is the dark side of depression, the downside of having to deal with it. And when I'm going through the depression and the down parts, I don't have the energy or the drive to do a podcast, but even afterwards for a time, I, I guess I could recover and I don't want to deal with it. I want to get past it. And so it takes me a minute. And so I'm very sorry that it's been since May, late May, you know, that I, I haven't done a show since then. And I know you guys are understanding and, and you understand me, but I, I want you to know that my standard is once a week. That's the standard I hold myself to. And I've been meaning to do this one for a while, but let me, let me get some business out of the way. And then we're going to do something unique. Uh, I'm going to respond to emails that I get. I'm not, don't, if you sent me an email, I may be reading it, but I'm not going to share your name. Okay. So your secrets are secret, but I am not in the habit of responding to GOK emails because my intent is to respond to them on the show, but I never, I never have, or at least in recent memory, I have it. But first I want to thank a few new patrons. Uh, Wesley Gill just became a $10 patron. Thank you so much, Wesley. Mila Allen uh, from Canada became a $7 patron. Thank you so much. She says, hi, James, I've loved listening to you and your kids. And now I get to listen to your life. You have been a great encouragement for me and to learn how to listen to other people's struggles. Thank you and keep it up, Mila. And then Scott became a $5 patron. Thank you very, 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 very much, guys. I appreciate all of my patrons, all my supporters, all the people who give me money and I don't understand why, but I sure do like it. <laughs> it makes my day. It really does. It's, uh, it's good. It's the closest thing I have to a job. So, you know, this podcasting thing. So it helps. It does. We have a iTunes review that I, we have, we, have, we get a few, you know, over the course of several months, we'll have a few. It's nothing like that story show, but, um, this one was written. Um, somebody wrote, wrote this out. So I wanted to do them the honor of sharing it. Uh, that animal crossing lover says slowly falling in love with it. It is so different from that story show, which I always knew only one side of him because his happy personality on his other shows, it's hard not to think 
that someone's life is perfect. Like I did when I only listened to that story show because he only mentions the good things of his week or just the minor bad things that happen. But really he's dealing with so, so much more than that. And it's hard for me because even though I have never met this person ever in my life before, I somehow deeply care and can't help. And it's terrible. I want to help, uh, but I'm helpless and I can't. I agree. Absolutely. In your newest episode, don't get the logic that it is terrible how horrible people are treating each other. And I don't understand it either. Kudos to James and his amazing personality. I'm just amazed that someone this amazing and kind exists and his courage showing that everyone has issues is just so well, good job, James. I love you. You're an amazing person. And even if I don't mean nothing to you or out of the millions of people, I still think you're amazing. That animal crossing lover. No, well, you're, review means a lot and I appreciate it. I don't, um, I don't agree that I'm awesome, obviously, but <laughs> if you want to think that I'm not going to stop you, you know, uh, I, I know who I am and I'm just a normal dude. I have my ups and downs. I have my good sides and my bad sides. I, I, uh, I struggle just like everybody, you know, and, uh, anyway, we got an email, uh, from Jay Zane Estrada. Um, he says, I'm currently listening to the current episode of GOK. And in reference to the taser versus mace, you remember that guys, when I was talking about tasers and mace in, in regard to my daughter and her self-protection in my time working in law enforcement, I've been both tased and sprayed for training and certification. I personally would advise the taser. It's better to have than the mace while mace has, um, some distance advantages. There is a major downside. It's very easy to cross contaminate. The foam type takes a few seconds to activate to the point where I've seen some people scrape the foam off their face and throw it back at the person that sprayed it. And the mist can blow back on the person using it. If the wind is against them, the oil jet type is generally the best, but still runs the risk of cross contamination due to wind or contact with a person that has been sprayed. Also, it's very hard to clean if you get it off on yourself. The taser does have the disadvantage of needing to be closer in range to make contact, but it's also less likely to cause harm back to the person using it to defend it themselves. Overall, I do agree the chances of needing either is low, but I'm also of the mindset it's better to have and not need than to need and not have. I hope this is helpful in making a decision on the matter. If you have any questions, I'd be happy to help. Best regards, uh, Zane Estrada. And, and it's terrible, but that's from back in December. <laughs> See what I mean about needing to respond to emails? Um. Just a quick update on me, and then we'll get into those emails. Um, uh, as you guys know, I think I left you last time um, that I had a new doctor and uh, that things went well. Um, unfortunately, the medicine that she prescribed um, for my lack of sleep and my anxiety um, did not work well at all, and it basically took my life away from me. Um, it, it made me very, um, feel, it made me feel nauseous all the time. Um, well, I'd go between being hungry and nauseous, which was weird. Uh, I had no energy at all. 
I I didn't stream. I didn't podcast. Uh, you know, my favorite things to do, and I I couldn't do them. Uh, I it took my personality away. Uh, lethargic would be an understatement. And so um, I called and left a message. And unfortunately, like the game of telephone, it went through a receptionist and then to the doctor and then from the doctor back to the receptionist back to me. And I asked basically, you know, what should I do? Should I take less of one or, you know, quit or whatever? And um, I don't think the urgency of the situation got through in my message. And so uh, I was told to, to stop taking as much of one of them. And I felt the situation was much worse, like I said, and that I didn't get my point across. So I have stopped um, both of the new medications and I have been able to return to my normal, which is not depressed, um, uh, generally feeling okay, uh, very little energy, very little drive, but not depressed and able to podcast and stream um, and, you know, communicate with my family. Now it had just gotten to the point that my wife even said she missed me. Um, I, I, I st- stuck with the medicine because it takes a minimum of two weeks to see the full effects. And she did say that it could cause some negative side effects, but they would pass. So I stayed with it longer than I normally would have. And, um, so, so that's the deal. I'm, I'm better now. Um, but I've got to go see the doctor and I'm a little nervous because she's new to me. She's, you know, she's not new. Uh, but I don't want to come across like, I think that she's bad at her job. Um, I believe just the medicine didn't respond to me properly. Not that she gave me the wrong medicine. You know what I'm saying? And I, I hope it comes across that way because, uh, I, I want her to, to stay positive with me. You know what I'm saying? And, uh, I, I just get nervous about new people and anxious, I guess. Um, some examples of how my anxiety has been kicking up lately. Uh, I had a friend um, who doesn't know I'm depressed and, and anxiety filled. Um, he, he's actually a, um, a, a, an acquaintance, I would say. Um, but, but he's a good guy, you know, and we would be friends if we hung out more, I think. But um, he's our, he was our realtor and he is friends with my friend, David. And he sent me a picture of a chalkboard painted uh, pantry door. And he requested that I come over and draw a Buzz Lightyear on it. And just that simple task seemed so insurmountable to me. Um, plus, plus the conflicting ideas of, yeah, that sounds awesome, but I can't do it. Why can't I do something that seems awesome? You know, that kind of thought process will just eat you up. And I, I literally, you know, I, I cried over it. It was bad. It was, it was, I was so full of shame and anxiety to even respond was too much. 
And so I sat there with the image and the message on my phone and just let it out, you know? And I finally just wrote back and said, I, I'm, cause I had, I had told the guy that if he ever needed anything to let me know. And I said, I know I've told you to look me up if you needed anything. And, but I'm sorry, I just can't right now, you know, and, and I hate sending such cryptic messages, but what are you going to do? Explain everything and dump all that on somebody? Yeah, I don't think so. Also had, I I've got these folks that I work with, they're entrepreneurial people and they come up with ideas and they send me work occasionally. And, uh, I've been working with them for the better part of 10 years. Never even spoke to them on the phone. We've done everything through email and, uh, uh, you know, hundreds of dollars have been exchanged and dozens of projects over those, over that time period. And I'm at a point right now where I can't do anything and they've requested work twice now. And I hate, hate having to say I can't, but I can't right now. Um, I can do artwork. I did artwork the other day. I even streamed it. Um, but it was for me, but the idea of trying to figure out what somebody wants and trying to meet those expectations and trying to get the artwork correct. Oh, see, it, it just makes something rise up in my chest. Even now, um, it's too much and I can't handle it. So I can't do it. And so I'm missing out on income and I'm letting down good people. And so this is the way that my anxiety is kicking up. Another way, and probably the biggest way of all, is you guys have known that, that I have, the only reason why I'm really pushing real hard to try to get some energy and, and to kill this anxiety is because of the children's program that my church wants to start. And me being a former children's pastor, it's natural that I would want to and be expected to um, contribute and possibly even lead as I've done in the past. We recently had a leadership meeting. It was Thursday at seven 30, um, about an hour after I stopped uh, recording that story show. And I, I wasn't even invited to the meeting and, and there was a reason now. Um, I was, I was invited secondhand through Jen because David didn't want to pressure me. Like, like he doesn't know how to, to act, you know? And, um, and I don't know if he did the right thing or the wrong thing, to be honest. I don't, I don't know if, uh, since I didn't get the message directly, I don't know if it would have stressed me out or not, but, um, so I'll say he did the right thing because I got the message through Jen and I was a little bit like for a minute, you know, like, why didn't he let me know? Am I out? Am I, you know, out of the leadership team? Am I not considered leadership anymore? And, and for just a split second, that was the feeling, but she says, no, no, no. He just didn't want to 
pressure you. And I'm like, oh, okay. You know, so it was just that quick. So I went to the leadership meeting and, um, and we talked a lot about starting a children's program and all the details and who would do what. And, and I found myself giving advice and, and stuff based on my experiences. It was just a natural thing. And I kept telling myself to shut up because I'm not even going to be able to participate more than likely. Um, but I, but I knew things, you know, I, I know how things operate. I know how a group of kids, um, behave. I know how middle schoolers behave when they're in a elementary school situation. And that was, you know, one of the topics that was being discussed was what do we do with the middle schoolers? Is it, is it wrong to send them away? And, and I said, well, you know, this is when they, when they come into children's ministry, they, they act like they want to be there, but then when they get there, they feel dumb and stupid and immature and they start acting worse than they would if they were actually, you know, kindergarten through fifth grade and they get the other kids distracted and the other kids will start behaving like the middle schoolers. And it's, so it's just not a good idea. And I'm like, why are you contributing so much when you're not even going to be there? You're setting yourself up and we got through the whole meeting and I, I just kept going through moments of near panic attacks because of all these thoughts of, you know, why are you even here? Why are you contributing? People are going to have expectations of you. You don't even know if you're going to be able to do it. Um, you know, on and on and on. And finally, one of the people in my church uh, and in the leadership team, she looked right at me and she says, well, most importantly, how are you feeling about this, James? And as hard as it was to have the focus on me and my disabilities, um, I think it was necessary. And this is the benefit of not being actively depressed right now. My medicine allows me to think clearly about it, even though it was humiliating and embarrassing. Um, I think what was said and shared needed to be, I think they needed to know where I was at. And so I basically told them, look, I, I want nothing more than to be a part of this. I want to, I want to help. I want to lead. I want to speak. I want to, you know, want to, I want, I, I even use their child's name. I want to give him a children's ministry because we're a small church. We don't have a children's ministry, but I want to give him that experience. I said, but just where I'm at right now, I can't, I can't function. I can't handle the responsibility. I can't be relied on. I can't be consistent. And it's, you know, it's, it's terrible. And she was amazing. Um, again, it was humiliating to have all of the, uh, attention on me. I'm the kid that used to cry and run from the room when everybody's saying happy birthday to me. Um, I don't like attention on myself. That's not my idea. Uh, but she was so compassionate and kind. And the gist of it was that my mental health is more important to her and to the group than anything else. And even if I never contributed and, and, and participated in anything that what I do contribute with my experience and blah, 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 blah is, and just who I am as a person is more than enough. And I don't believe a word of it, <laughs> but, but it was still nice to hear. 
I, I believe they believe it. It's, it's like you guys, you know, you think I'm awesome. I don't believe it, but it's nice that you do, you know? And I think that's, that's the way it's supposed to be. I, I think, you know, to be any other way is to be the opposite of, of humble, I guess, you know, if you think you're awesome and nobody else does, <laughs> that's a problem. Um, so I'd rather have it this way where I, I don't think I'm awesome, but you guys and other people think I am, but, um, you know, it, it was, it was tough to have the attention thrown on my depression and my anxiety. Um, uh, but I think it was good to get it out and to let everybody know, um, that way there's no, there's no question marks. There's no blank spaces in people's minds. Uh, you know, why isn't James helping? Why is this? Why is that? Because whenever there's a blank space, people rarely fill in the blank with something positive. You know, the answer is usually, oh, well, he must be lazy or he must not care or he must not love my son or, you know, uh, he must be in sin. Um, he must something, something, you know, I'm just glad and grateful as small as my church is. Um, I'm grateful to be around people who support me and understand uh, cause she even, she even made a point. Like, I know you've had negative experiences with the church and your, you know, your stuff. And, um, we don't want to be one of those. <laughs> and I'm, I really appreciate that. Um, but it was good. I think, I think it was good for David to hear too, because I don't, David and I are guys. We don't sit around and talk about our feelings. <laughs> And so when I talk to him about where I'm at, I'm very much a, like, like if it was a newspaper, I would, I would give him headlines instead of an article. And I, the other night at the leadership meeting, I got to read a little bit of the article out loud. And so as humiliating as it was, um, you know, I can logically look at it and say, no, it was, it was, it was a good thing. Uh, because we have, we have people in the group, um, that have their own, um, anxiety issues that they deal with. And I honestly think it was good for them to hear that somebody that seems to function as well as I do, um, struggles because I'm able to pull off a Sunday meeting. You know, sometimes I'm not as sociable as, as I can be. And sometimes I'm, you know, myself. But, uh, I, I, I think, uh, if you saw me on a Sunday at a meeting, you would, wouldn't think I had a problem in the world, but, um, I do. So, you know, not being able to do artwork for folks is stressful and anxiety is keeping me from it and not being able to do this children's ministry thing is really bad. So I'm trying to get another meeting with my doctor and I want to have, uh, meetings every appointments, I guess, every two weeks instead of every month, because once a month is, is too long. I mean, the whole summer is going to be gone in a couple of months, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's kind of an, uh, an emergency. I, I'd almost say, you know, so anyway, um, the last thing I'll say is streaming has been going fairly well now that I'm back to feeling 
like I did before the bad medicine, um, having success in Twitch streaming. I've become an associate or a, uh, yeah, Twitch associate. It means I met some minimum requirements and now I'm able to earn income on subscriptions and things like that. So that's kind of neat, you know, uh, over on YouTube, I'm streaming on Tuesday nights at 4 PM. And, um, I get a lot of middle schoolers that come in and watch me play Minecraft. And I tell stories, old stories from the archives of nobody's listening. And, uh, it's going really well. Um, YouTube has a lot higher standards as far as I have to have a thousand subscribers. I've got like 760 something and I have to have a certain amount of watch hours. Like, I don't know, 10,000. And I, I don't have that many watch hours. Watch hours, I guess is basically people watching your videos. So it's going to take a lot longer, but I think YouTube is probably holds the most promise because I think a lot of the people I'm trying to reach are on YouTube. I think YouTube is generally more accepted by my audience and Twitch is big with gamers, but not big with the people that watch my content or listen to my content. So I'm right now I'm going to play both sides of the fence. I'm going to do Twitch streaming. I'm going to do YouTube streaming and I'm going to let the long game determine which one I focus on. Uh, But I do predict that eventually I will switch to just one or the other. Uh, Another goal I have in the short term is to start streaming that story show uh, with video. And, um, and that could be on YouTube or Twitch. I don't know, but uh, that is a goal. And I'm working on that in the, in the background. I don't know how long it'll take. We've done it before, but I honestly, it's been so long. I don't remember how to do it. There's gotta be better ways. That's the thing about technology is things are constantly updating and getting better. And especially since, uh, COVID and, uh, the way that video conferencing has become such a, uh, a necessary thing, you know, in the last year, uh, to the point that even, you know, all of the networks, especially sports networks and stuff all do remote streaming and have multiple people with multiple cameras and multiple streams all at one time. There's got to be a better way to do it than the way I was doing in the past. Cause the way I was doing it in the past was very difficult and, um, hard to do correctly. Uh, so I need it to be simple and I need it to be predictable to where I can just open up a piece of software and hit go like I do on Twitch right now. Um, well, anyway, I could go into more detail about why streaming it's, uh, streaming another person from another state is more difficult than just streaming yourself. But, uh, you just have to take my word for it. It's, it's difficult. I don't want to waste your time. I do want to get into some of these emails though, because if you guys are still listening, I'm sure you will appreciate a response. So, um, writing responses is very hard for me because, um, it, it just takes a lot. It takes a lot out of me. And, um, I'm not, the email doesn't always catch me at a good moment and I always read them and I always, you know, get what you want me to get out of it. Meaning if you're saying something nice about me, it does succeed in doing that. If, if you're wanting to share something from your life, 
I do um, feel it along with you and all that stuff, but I don't typically respond. And, and that's, that's bad. I don't think it's a good thing, but I'm going to do it now. Okay. So this gentleman writes, I really related to your latest GOK because I recently discovered in therapy that I hate myself. This one's titled, I'm not enough either. So this is from the, I'm not enough episode. I used to believe that I was the most selfish me first person on earth. And it's only through God's grace that I'm, that I was ever able to accomplish anything good and loving for my friends and family. I realized though, that the only reason why I, I believe I'm so bad is because I hate myself. Because when I really look at the evidence, I can see that I'm a good person. My motivations are, are pretty others focused by default. In fact, I, if I saw my failings in another person, I would have grace towards that person and tell them that they had tried. I would tell them that the motivation behind our actions is what Jesus looks at most. But when I look at myself, I don't extend that grace because I hate myself. Honestly, I think the thing that has most distorted my view of my worth from a godly perspective is church because church so often teaches that we are junk and garbage and that God through an enormous amount of grace, plugs his nose and accepts us. But that's not what the Bible ultimately teaches. It's not only through the distortion of a few passing scriptures that we see this wretched view of ourselves. I honestly worry that too many pastors preach that false gospel on purpose to keep people subservient and in the pews. Having a disabled son has really opened my eyes to how much of the gospel that gets preached on a Sunday is ableist by tying our worth to our ability and what we accomplish by tying our worth to our ability and what they, what we accomplish, man, that's my, it's my whole issue in a nutshell. I only made these discoveries a few months ago, so I have a long way to go, but I think that erasing that false belief about how God views me is going to be key in changing how I view myself. I'm praying for you. And as always, I appreciate your journal podcast. Most of all, and we'll just call him George Jetson. <laughs> okay. But he's not wrong. I don't think pastors purposefully do this. Um, at least most of them that I've known. But it is a it is a thing. If you read through the Old Testament, you really get a, a feeling that God doesn't like people very much. But you read through the New Testament and you realize that God loves us a lot. He just wants us to honor him. Um, and you do because I, I think it's the mixing. I think, I think churches do this on accident because we mix politics and nationality with religion so much that the American dream becomes indistinguishable from a relationship with God. And we feel like when we're doing good and we're making money and things are right in our life. And when we're living the American dream that we are in favor, in favor with God and that things are okay and that our faith is working for us. But the dark side of that is when we're not prospering, when the check doesn't come in the mail at the last minute, when somebody is born with a disability or you become disabled yourself or a chronic illness or disease, um, 
a, a car accident takes a loved one, a divorce occurs, uh, the death of a spouse or a child, um, a miscarriage, you know, these horrible, horrible things that can happen to us, uh, can immediately take all of those, all that faith that you had that was based on things being a certain way and it can just crush it to dust. And suddenly all of that faith, and I say that in quotes because that's not what true faith is, is it, it works against you. And now if you were working, if you were living right with God, this wouldn't have happened. If your faith had been strong, this wouldn't have occurred. If you were living right, this wouldn't have happened. You need to pull yourself up and quit being such a, a wuss. And, and, you know, and, and it even gets to the point where you feel like you can't even come to God with your issue because it's your fault somehow because you caused it or maybe he allowed it. And where I've come to what I've come to, and you guys have been with me through the, through my journey with dealing with depression and God is the depression just happened. It wasn't the devil. It wasn't God. It just happened. My brain was genetically predisposed, um, having a bipolar father and a depressed mother. Um, all of my siblings deal with some sort of version of what I'm dealing with. Some of them even have it worse. Uh, I, my sister does for darn sure. And I can't blame anything for that. And I can't get mad. And I can't say why, because I know why it, it was, it was always going to be. And faith isn't based on things being right. Um, faith is literally the substance of things hoped for, meaning faith is what you hope will happen. It's the evidence of things that haven't occurred yet and may never happen. The ultimate proof that we have, the ultimate truth that I cling to is that one day my suffering will be over and I will spend eternity with God in heaven. And there will be no tears and no pain and no shadows, no darkness that I will function as I was meant to. And that is a privilege. And that is all I expect. And that's where my faith is rooted. Not in how much money we pull in, not in how well my kids behave or if their health is good or bad, not even in my own health or mental health. It's based on who God is, who he says he is, what he says he does. And he says he loves us and who he sent and he sent Christ. And, and that's it. Um, it's not based on how much I accomplish or don't accomplish. And, and I'm a, I'm a big fat loser because I do feel bad that I don't accomplish things and I want to. Um, 
But, you know, one of the benefits, like I said, of not thinking depressed right now is I can say that and it doesn't destroy me. And I can say, well, you know, uh, you know, I, if I, if I can't do anything, it's not that I don't want to, it's just that I can't. So, but I'll tell you, man, um, a few times in the last couple of weeks, I forgot to take my medicine and uh, the miracle medicine, I call it. <laughs> and if I go two days without taking it, I revert and the, the darkness comes over me and the, the, my positive way of thinking and just the normal way I, I consider my brain in, in a normal state right now, as far as the way my thoughts go. I'm not in a heightened state. I'm not walking on cloud nine. I don't feel, I still feel uh, miserable when I'm supposed to feel miserable. I feel sad when I'm supposed to feel sad. I feel happy when I'm supposed to feel happy. I feel normal when I'm supposed to feel normal. So my medication is doing for me what my brain should do without the medication, if that makes sense. But if I don't have it, it goes full on back to the way it was eight years ago at the worst of the worst. I'm in the fetal position. I am crying. I am, but, but, um, I think I've, I've mentioned on the show how I've been through this so much now that I know that it's all lies. I know that depression lies. It doesn't feel any different and it still feels like the truth. I actually even told my wife, I said, it's so crazy. Because earlier today I felt this way and now I'm feeling dark and horrible and depression feels like I've pulled back the curtain on my lie of a life and I've seen the reality and the reality is miserable and dark and horrible. That's what depression feels like. It feels like it's revealing things to you, almost like what the serpent promised Eve that once you eat the fruit, your eyes will be opened. He wasn't lying. She, her eyes would be open to the darkness and the, and the, the cruelty of what life could be and what sin does to people. And depression made me in that moment, in those moments, I, I, I kind of forget how bad it is. Uh, but when it, it came on me a couple of times because I'd forgotten my medicine and I just laid there um, waiting the medication to kick back in and it would take a couple of hours. Uh, but I, but I knew it was a lie, but it felt so real. Like that me being a loser was the reality that I felt stupid about streaming. I felt stupid about podcasting. I felt stupid about everything that I was doing. Now I look at it and I'm like, yeah, it's not preaching at a church anymore. Yes. It's not that. It's not reaching my full potential, but it's something it's better than you used to be. And it's you creating community, you reaching out, you trying to, to touch lives, even though you're stuck in a chair in the basement of your house. That's what normal James understands. But depressed James thinks I am a loser. So, um, I think we all deal with a bit of self-hatred. But I think it's so key what he says about how if he saw the shortcomings in someone else, um, he would have grace for them. And uh, I think that's so key is, is when we, we look at other people, we see the grace that God can have on them. 
but we don't apply it to ourselves. And we need to. The God that loved you in your sin is definitely going to love you when you're trying to live for him. When you're seeking him, when you've accepted him. God doesn't stop loving you when you accept him and, and he, you know, saves you or whatever. That same grace that drew you is still there, if, if not more so. I, I, I think it takes more grace to be good than it ever did to be bad. So, um, I don't know. And I don't think there's a shortcoming short, a shortness of, of forgiveness or grace. So anyway, thanks for your email. Uh, Fred. Oh, <laughs> I said, I wouldn't say names. <laughs> Dead gummit. Uh, his, his name is red. He's like, I'm on my way to New Jersey. I'm listening to the latest G. Okay. Thank you for sharing. I'm familiar with the lies. And I know in my heart the truth, but sometimes the lies are just too loud to hear anything else. I get it. That's not oversharing, so I don't feel bad about using his name. Plus, it's just a first name. I am familiar with the lies. I know in my heart the truth, but sometimes the lies are too loud to hear anything else. And that's what I was describing a moment ago about the way depression is. is uh, I, I think depression is just an amplified version of what everybody deals with. Everybody lays there in the bed at night and has uncomfortable thoughts come to them. Depression just amplifies that. So I could see why a show like this would speak to people. I, um, depressed James couldn't, but I can, <laughs> you know, I could see because we all struggle. We all, um, hate ourselves a little bit. We all wish we were better. We all wish we ate better, that we exercised more or that we even exercised at all, that we drank more water, that we did more stuff. And, and we, we see people on Instagram, Facebook that seem like they have their lives all straightened out and all squared away. And we don't see their negatives. We don't see what they're going through. We don't see their struggles and we judge ourselves by the appearance because nobody posts anything except for the highlights. Nobody posts the bad days. I guess some people do. Um, but uh, the lies are louder than the truth. They, they, they are, they seem more true than the truth. They're easier to believe than the truth. The lies are the path um, that most take. The lies are the current, the natural current of the earth, if the earth was a river. And the truth would be the equivalent of standing up in a river and turning around against the current and walking against the current. It's harder to operate in the truth than it is 
to go with the lies. It's darn near impossible. And the further you go, sticking with the, uh, the metaphor, the further you go, the more weary you get. But, um, you just, you hold on to the truth blindly. When I had my relapses, that's what I did is I just said, you know what? This feels real. It, it is my reality right now. Everything is horrible and dark and terrible, but I know that I won't feel this way later. I just logically know this. And so I'm not going to make any decisions, um, about myself or God or my family or my worth and value based on temporary feelings. And you can do the same thing with the lies. They're easier to believe. They're louder. They're natural in this world. They're the current that we live in. But you can say, you know what? I will listen to them. I will experience them, but I will not allow the, the lies to define me, define me. Even if your lifestyle backs them up a hundred percent, that's the thing. My, some of mine are that you're a lazy butt and looking at me and all, all I mostly do is sit in a chair and talk in a microphone and game online. And I, I, but I'm there for my family and there's a hundred other things I do. I, I drive my kids around. I, I, I participate in my church. I, I, you know, but the lie seems to be true when it, when it comes into my mind because I don't do a whole lot, but do my, accomplishments define who I am in the American dream. They do your value is completely based on how able you are to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. You're successful. If you have come from something down and poor and low into something higher and quote unquote better. And when your life isn't doing that, you are considered a failure. The American dream has very little gray area. It doesn't have a place for people who live and die poor, who never improve their social standing. I don't know. Thanks, Fred. The named guy. Thanks for your email. All right. Um, this is uh, another guy. <laughs> I'm not going to say his name this time. Wow, James, I just listened to the latest GOK podcast, Less of a Christian. See, this is going back a while. I'm so bad. I'm so terrible. And I want you to know that I too am less of a Christian than I used to be. Much of what I heard you say are words that have come out of my own mouth. For most of my life, I was a good Christian. I went to church and youth group. I listened to Christian music. I went to Christian college. I became a youth pastor. I went to seminary. I became a missionary teaching pastors in an African Bible school. I was pastor for seven years. And yes, I even tied the whole time. 
And then all at once, I find myself no longer a quote unquote good Christian. My family and I don't go to church. My daughter doesn't go to a youth group. I resign from the pastorate. Now I find myself understanding the Bible a little better. And I'm learning to trust God more because I am uncertain about so many things that I quote unquote knew were right before. Your podcast was really encouraging to me, though I don't agree with everything you said. (laughs) Got to get that in there. Just know that you are not alone in questioning the status quo of the Christian culture. Keep pressing for his grace and he will continue to lead anonymous. I almost said his name again. <laughs> uh, I don't agree with everything he said. Well, you know what? That is the beautiful thing about opinions is everybody's got one. And I have named my show the gospel of Kennison on purpose because not even I necessarily agree with everything I've said on this show in the past. There is not a bit of it that you could hold me to on, on a, on a, on a, um, on a, on a, you know, in a courtroom or whatever, because I might feel completely different now than I did then. I was in a totally different mindset when I made that podcast. Possibly there's very few truths that I hold to that are unmovable and unshakable. And I've spoken them actually already about God and Jesus and stuff. But I had somebody one time talking about Jacob wrestling with the angel, the angel of the face, um, who many believe to be the pre-incarnate Christ. And he wrestled with the angel all night. And the angel, of course, you know, slipped his hip out or whatever. And one kind of cheated and won the wrestling contest and the the pastor that talked about that is is that he likely had a limp for the rest of his life and evidence of the time he wrestled with god and he said you know there's all kinds of christians out there there's the shiny happy ones that everything's going right for he's saying and then there are the christians that struggle and and they haven't had all happy hunky dory experiences with God and, and life has been a struggle and they walk with a limp. And he says, you know, I just don't trust anybody that doesn't walk with a limp. And my friend here with this email is someone that walks with a limp. And, um, I definitely, I, I crawl, (laughs) I I scrape myself with my fingernails across the ground. Um, yeah. Uh, C.S. Lewis said something to the effect of um, it's not, it, it just comes a point where you, you realize who God is and you say, this is who he is. And, and as unknowable as God is and the people that think they have it all sewn up and done with, I don't trust. The people that have it all, you know, step one, step two, step three, and you're getting good with God, that's, that don't work for me. And of course, that episode that he referred to, Less of a Christian, was me kind of tongue-in-cheek saying, I'm not a good Christian by the standards of the Christian church. But I think in many ways, 
uh, I'm better off than I used to be because of where God has taken me. So our struggles are not in vain, you know? And uh, if you're struggling and you question and you have doubts, I think you're exactly where you're supposed to be. Because if you had it all figured out, first of all, you wouldn't need God. Anyway, you'd be an awfully proud person. And the people that have it all figured out, they don't walk with a limp. And uh, so anyway, thank you for the email. Dear James, in a recent episode, you talked about love notes from middle school days. I did not keep any of the notes and I for sure do not have the one that immediately comes to mind, but this took place on the six, in sixth grade. Um, hold on one second. Okay, here we go. <laughs> I was about to say, that sounds like a story from that story show. And it was, but there's a second spot. There's a second part. And, and I asked for permission to share it on the show. And that's what I was reviewing there. Um, I've been wanting to write to you in response to your GOK episode, and especially the one in which you told your life story. I realize that you, it's probably very difficult to do, and I admire you for having the strength to go through it. In the last installment of your story, I can very much relate to what much of what you said when you read from your journal, I got choked up inside because much of what you wrote is very similar to thoughts I have battled with for some time. I'm a survivor thus far of deep, deep depression combined with borderline personality disorder. I have tried to explain my thought patterns to others, but I cannot explain something that I do not fully understand myself. I will keep on keeping on and face each day as the sun rises. My biggest source of strength has been my mother and my son. He is not my biological son. And I've never had legal guardianship of him, but we adopted each other back when he was about 12 and he is now 36 and still refers to me as his dad. He never really knew his biological stepfather. You and I do not have anywhere near the same background story as kids, but I do relate to your struggles with depression. And I think one of the huge mistakes people with depression sometimes make is trying to compare ourselves with others who we already know battle with it or who we see as having the perfect life. Both comparisons are equally as dangerous. I am rambling and I apologize. Not at all. Not at all. I just wanted to say thank you for what you do and sharing your story. I've been a listener to Nobody's Listening slash That Story Show since about 2008. Currently, I'm set up giving $10 a month and I wish I could do more because I truly believe that you are what you are doing is helping people and being a blessing to them. Two books I would like to recommend. One of them is called He Loves Me by Wayne John Jacobson. Wayne Jacobson. And the second book is called the Cure, What If God Isn't Who You Think He Is and Neither Are You by John Lynch, Bruce McNichol, and Bill Thrall. The second book I actually downloaded and listened to on the recommendation of comedian Bob Smiley. You can download a free PDF version of He Loves Me on Wayne's website. Thank you for all you do. Prayers to you and your family. Anonymous. So... um It's good that you have support. It's it's amazing. Um, if I didn't have my wife and kids, I don't know where I'd be. Well, I probably do. 
I'd probably be at the bottom of a of a of a grave. Um, because if I had to rely on my family, I don't I don't think I'd make it. Um, but you're right. You we do compare ourselves, and and it's not unique to depressed people. I think just depression, like I said, amplifies the comparison. But everybody compares themselves to other people, and we always come up short. The grass is always greener on the other side. But there's always people that have it worse than us, too, and we, we somehow hang ourselves, uh, suspend ourselves between the two extremes. Well, this person, I wish I was more like them, but at least I don't have it as bad as blah, blah, blah. And both comparisons are dangerous. Um, that's why the Bible, I think, uh, encourages us to live in the now, to live in today. Um, I think it means not only, you know, time-wise, but position-wise, to be thankful and grateful for where we're at at this moment. Because I think if you can be that, you can move in, you can move forward. Even if you are in the darkest place you've been in your life. Facing that and owning that, you know, I think is important. And, and not comparing yourself to, to someone who's got it better. Because I've lived just long enough to learn that the people that seem like they have it so together really don't. The, the Instagram folks, the, the Facebook folks, they have struggles too. They just have struggles that don't show. And oftentimes their struggles are worse or harder, depending on what they are, than, than you could imagine. Um, and what I've lived long enough to, to understand is that everybody's got just enough crap in their life to where everything balances out. Like my wife the other day said something about the CEO of her company and how many millions he makes. And I found myself not being jealous at all. And neither was she. I mean, we, we just, it was conversation and that came up and I said, but I would not want the pressure and the crap that comes with making that much money because they're, you just imagine there's always somebody that's making more. There's always going to be somebody that's, that, that looks down on you. You know, there's always somebody that can afford one more car than you can. And a better school for their kid than you can. Just a, a mess. I, I just, and I've known rich people and I've gotten to know them. And I've seen people that, look like they have it so together, but they lost their son to suicide and their daughter is unsure about her identity of, of any kind and the struggles that they've gone through. They've, they've dealt with cancer and debilitating um, issues. Nobody has it all together. Nobody does. And that's just the truth. It's, it's like the whole thing about walking with a limp. 
the 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 people I respect the most are the people that own up to their shortcomings and don't try to hide them necessarily. Some things are too personal, you know, but 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 uh and but don't expect people to feel sorry for them either and don't use them as excuses. But they they're an inspiration to me because they have um they're real. They're real, okay? They're just real. That's what I consider a real person. Is is someone who who lets the real them show. And real's not always pretty. It's definitely not as pretty as fake. So So anyway, thank you uh who <laughs> said his name? Thank you for sending that in. <laughs> uh So let me read this one. Um Let's see. This one is not so much a GOK, I guess, uh as it is a red school bus. Um But I still want to read it. It's it's uh from a parent of one of the kids that listened to Red School Bus. Hi, so-and-so's mom's here. Uh, I just wanted to tell you how much of a thrill it is for all of us when you read his story on air. He listens to all your podcasts all the time to the point that his dad and I joke that we're co-parenting with you. <laughs> I especially appreciated how you said, look at yourself, kid, when he complained about someone else's bad attitude, a message I try to impart daily. I grew up in St. Louis, so we're even considering a trip there for your live James Con or whatever it's called this summer. It's been a while since I've been back. Thanks for your goofy, gross, kind-hearted work. All the best, Anonymous. And I wrote back, I've always wondered what the parents behind some of our younger listeners think about the show. Glad to hear, in this case anyway, that it's positive. And uh, then I talked a little bit about Narthex Con, and um, at the time, it was still going to happen. But 2020 had other plans, didn't it? So I I hate that I can't do Red School Bus anymore. But Jay grew up. He's a deep-voiced 13-year-old teenager, and and the time passed. James, I just paused the GOK podcast, episode 119. I believe to tell you that it is possible to find the right medication and essentially not be depressed anymore. Boy, at the time, I wouldn't have believed. I, at the time, I didn't believe it. I was diagnosed as being bipolar in 2006, and I've been on medication since 2007. It took a while to find the right combination of drugs, but once I did, I continued to take them faithfully, and I've been normal for years. The bottom doesn't drop out. Sure, there are updates and up days and down days, but everybody experiences them. I take. Abilify, Effexor, and Wellbutrin. I've been on all of those, and I hope that helps. A little be encouraged and let your expectations be that the medicine will work and continue to work for years to come mark well at the time um i wrote back that's good to hear 
I don't know that anybody's ever told me that before. I, it's good to know that it's a possibility or an eventuality. I appreciate it. And I did. And now I'm experiencing that at least in the depression side of things. And I never would have believed it if it hadn't happened. But depression is a freaking liar and it makes you think it's going to be forever. And it's not, it's not forever. It's not always going to feel so bad. And my doctor told me that one time, everybody gets better. The only people that don't are the ones who commit suicide. That's the only ones that don't get better. Everybody gets better. And I, that message more than any other is the one I would scream if I had the voice and the, and the, the platform to do it is that everybody gets better. It always gets better, but you don't believe it, man, when you're, when you're in it. So, so, uh, all right. So, um, this is the last one that I have. We're over an hour now. It's rare for my show for GOK. I apologize, but if you enjoy it, um, I'm glad to have done it. Hi, James. I've been listening to your podcast for probably about 10 years now, and I've never had much to write in about. I meant for my first email to be about how the gospel of Kennison has really encouraged me since getting very ill a few years ago. I've since been diagnosed with a chronic illness that can be very painful and exhausting at times, and it has led me to experience a lot of the same things you've talked about on the podcast. The podcast is really helpful and encouraging and it makes me feel less alone. I appreciate your candor. I had to look that one up and listening to your insights on family, God, mental health, and the little things in between. All that I wanted to say, uh, in my first, that's that all that to say that although that's what I wanted to say in my first email to you, it's not, I just finished the late last episode of the first chapter of sort of kind of superpower. Since you asked for listeners thoughts, I wanted to tell you that I loved it and I was really engaged with the story and the world that you've created. I'm excited to hear more, even though I'm past the target age group. Thank you for sharing. Even if it's daunting, thanks for the many years of podcasting. I've enjoyed all the best. Not going to say the name (laughs) it's right there. And it's so natural from that story show to just say, and put the name in there you want to give them credit but so she ended up uh emailing about the very thing she wanted to email about in the first time and i think that's hilarious so um i i can't imagine i i know so many people have it so worse than i do you know um but what i've learned from working with inner city youth is you don't judge people's trauma on how good of a story it makes you judge it by how it affects the person. And that's, that's how I could go from dealing with an inner city kid with real issues, like somebody shot their friend kind of issues to going to a, and, and to a teenager, a white teenager whose big issue is that their dad doesn't let them borrow the car enough. You know, you, you want to say, look, you don't have problems, you know? <laughs> but you don't judge it based on how good of a story it makes. It's on how it affects the person. And to that, uh, to that kid who is, is more privileged, you know, that is the biggest thing in their life. And, and, and it means 
that it's a strain on the relationship with the father and, and it's trust issues and, and it's this and it's that, and it's a statement about who they are as a person and it does affect them and it is serious and it is a big deal and you can uh, face it and, and understand and be there with them uh, even though it may not seem as big of a deal, but um, I, uh, I, I know, you know, anybody that's ever lost anybody close to them has it worse than me. Somebody with chronic illness and physical pain has it worse than me. Oh my gosh, you know, but suffering is suffering. And I think our responses to it are very much the same. And especially when it comes to faith and issues of faith and God, um, the idea of continued suffering, you know, uh, and even even the the words of Job, Job man, uh, he 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 gets so much credit for being so faithful. But if you've ever read Job, um, there's so much he, uh, that he says that I've said, you know, that I, he he wants to be uh, he 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 questions God, he he challenges God, he he dares God to um, to prove. To him, what have I done to deserve this? And, and you know, that I've been so good. And why has this happened to me? And God just beats him up and says, where were you? You know, when, when I did this and where were you? And, ah, uh, you know. So anyway, but I'm glad you enjoyed sort of kind of superpower. If you guys don't know, or it's been a while, I did write a book one time. It's one of the things I did back in the day when I was depressed, but still had more energy than I do right now for some reason. Now it's like flip the opposite. Um, but I wrote a book and I didn't think it was good enough to publish, but I made an audio book out of it and I put it in podcast form and you can look it up in iTunes or go to nlcast.com and click on, um, or go to sort of kind of superpower.com and you can listen to it and it's on SoundCloud if you have that app and it's all free and it's 13 chapters, 13 episodes, and it's meant for, you know, middle readers, but it's the most uh, creative thing I think I've ever done. And the most, the, probably one of my bigger accomplishments. Um, and I think you would enjoy it. It's just, it's a good story. It's not the best writing in the world. It's just me, but I'm proud of it. And, um, one day I'm going to write a sequel. I've worked on the sequel and I've worked hard, but then I run out of gusto or whatever. Matter of fact, I still have my note cards sitting here from it. Cause I don't want to put it away because if I put it away, I'll never come back to it. So I have it sitting on my desk, staring at me every day. Like, Oh, you should be writing stories, James. You're such a loser. <laughs> uh, but that's depression for you. Uh, never lets up, not for a second. And that clears up my past inbox. So there we go. I'm, I'm a better man. I feel accomplished. I've done something good. <laughs> I responded to all my emails. Uh, the hard ones, the ones that were hard to respond to anyway. Um, thank you for listening. Um, those of you that pray for me, thank you for that. Those of you that sponsor me monthly, thank you for that. 
Um, if you want to be one of those people, you can jump over to patreon.com slash GOK and contribute on a monthly basis. And it helps. It does. I want to thank Carrie Wright and Carrie Bernhardt for their continued support and all of the patrons who do so much. I want to thank you for listening. And I hope the best for you. And if you're going through a dark time, I, I, I hope that you will keep going, you know, um, there's a statement. I don't know who said it. It's been attributed to Churchill. It's been attributed to anonymous, but it, it just, it was one of, it's become one of my wallpapers and it's when you, when you're going through hell, keep going. And, uh, that's, that's what I would suggest. No matter what it is, keep going through it. Stay alive. Survive. And uh, if you ever want to email me, the email is james at nlcast.com. And maybe I'll not respond to yours. So, (laughs) but I will read it. I promise. I promise. And, uh, I'll, I'll do more of this in the future. As people send in emails, I will try to tag it on to the very next, uh, episode, but the episodes are so sporadic as you know. Anyway, this one has been so long and you have been so patient. Thank you for listening. We'll see you guys next time. I would say next week, but I don't want to be a liar. Uh, talk to you later. Bye. 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 God bless.